Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. College football, at least week zero, is upon us. Nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League as their preseason wraps up. Major League Baseball, some teams are waving the white flag. Some teams didn't wave the white flag and maybe should have as the playoff races get underway. And of course, in the National Basketball Association, a couple familiar voices, quite vocal in the last several weeks or so. After several weeks of us being on hiatus for the summer, we have returned just in time for college football season. And of course, nothing really much has changed in the sport when it comes to 2023. Don't know what there would be to talk about. All the teams are excited and ready to go. Conferences are full. The Pac-12 appears to be fighting for the second best conference this season. I don't think there's much more to talk about aside from what's going to go on in the field. Everything is probably okay, right, Al? It's over. We got to go. We got to run. We're done. Uh, it has been too long since we've been away, but summer, uh, constant work for you in regard to the ever-expanding Pac-12, and, or excuse me, uh, Big 12, and getting your conference squared away. Busy summer for me, a lot of work, uh, some home improvements, and not done by me, of course, but <laughs> done by the people who are far more skilled than me. And uh, now we're back at it, uh, back with our fans and friends. Uh, Look forward to the end of the summer, the pennant races, the playoff races, the beginning of college football. Uh, Unfortunately, some terrible injury news to discuss. Uh, Obviously, the end, thankfully, of NFL preseason with, again, some unfortunate injuries, which always rear their ugly head. And the, the thing about the NFL more than any other sport is These debilitating injuries happen in the NFL in preseason, unlike baseball, unlike basketball, MLB, NBA, where they're usually non-contact injuries and guys are done for the season. Torn pectoral muscles, obviously ACLs, hamstrings, you know, patella tendons, uh, whatever the case may be. And lots of times they're without being touched. They're you know, in workouts, they're in practices, non-contact drills, cutting, whatever the case may be. And you know, sometimes the war of attrition is not the regular season, it's the preseason. And whoever comes out of the preseason the healthiest. Uh, and that's the thing that always, to me, is the black cloud that hangs over the National Football League. But uh, you know, looks like all the quarterbacks are healthy, which is the most important positions. And, you know, we draw ever closer to the end of preseason and the week one of the National Football League. But we've got pennant races. We've got playoff races. Your team out of it. My team even more hopelessly out of it. Raise the white flag. A uh, GM team president that won't go away. Uh, and uh, 
we see the Atlanta Braves still the best team in baseball. Pennant races throughout the American League in terms of division races throughout the American League. The Texas Rangers come back to the back. The AL East is up for grabs. Minnesota looks comfortable in the Central. Braves hand ride home. Philly's in good shape. Uh, NL Central and all wild cards up for grabs. And the Dodgers just keep rolling along. Well, let me pull up the MLB standings because as a New York Yankees fan, I haven't needed to do that for quite some time because it's been so ugly of a second half and regular season since Aaron Judge has gone down after bashing his toe into Dodger Stadium's wall that I haven't really had a chance to look at how everyone else is doing because you get so focused and disappointed and angry on your own team. The only time you see how others are doing is when they play your team and go, man, it must be nice to be, say, the Baltimore Orioles, despite winning, despite it of their owner and how cheap he wants to continue to be with this franchise, how much they've turned things around in the AL East. And some teams come to town and you just shake your head and go, yep, that ain't us. You watch the Braves play in 2023, comparatively to how the Braves looked when I was growing up a Yankees fan, where they were just a little smidge worse than the Yankees, but pretty much on par with both. That is very much skewed in the year 2023. It's disappointing to have a team that's out of it before you even get into September. And even still, you start talking to yourself like a game the other night when the Yankees win 9-1. to Luis Severino somehow finds himself finally going seven strong innings. Aaron Judge hits three home runs for the first time in your career. You start talking to yourself like... How many games back were they on what date of Boston when they had to make up 14 games to make the postseason? What date did that start? You think we can make a run and get to 97 wins? Is there really a chance to turn this thing around if Aaron Judge just hits three home runs a game? And you act a fool of yourself because then the following day you get three home runs, your stars finally come together, and you lose 6-5. to Baseball will just rip your heart out night after night. And the only solace, Al, is that this pitch clock has made the games just a little bit shorter. Things move a little bit faster. And the night doesn't get as long before your heart ends up getting ripped out. Now before 10 o'clock, everything's fine. You go to bed. You're ready to go. There's none of these more late games where you're going into 1130, sometimes into the next day and extras. Now we're adding people on base so you don't have to worry about it. Games are quicker now. So if your team sucks... At least doesn't hurt as much to have to, for whatever reason, watch them play every night. The extension of the wild cards to make an even greater number of teams uh, available to make the postseason is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, your hope springs almost eternal. All right? On the other hand, so does your misery every night or every other night uh, versus being out of it and saying, okay, uh, we're done. I can stop worrying about it. You get to keep worrying about it. You get to keep following every bat, every big pitch, every relief pitcher, every guy who hits into a double play with the bases loaded, every guy who can't advance a runner, every guy who walks the ballpark in a big spot with a two-run or three-run lead. And it just it makes you rip your hair out. Unlike any other game, baseball makes you rip your hair out. Plain and simple. The others do, but not to the extent of baseball because there are so many opportunities and there are so many games. 
And it goes for such a long time. I hear callers talk about, well, you know, I remember as I do with the Cardinals, when the Cardinals, you know, went through tough stretches and, and, and you know, were mediocre or just bad. Uh, and with the Yankees, when older people, you know, my age, when the Yankees, when you were kids were horrible. But the difference was then, even if you weren't horrible, you still had no shot of making the postseason. Even if you were mediocre, you didn't make the postseason because there was two teams in the postseason. The National League pennant winner, the American League pennant winner. And then in 69, they expanded and make it a whopping, okay, four teams, two from each league. And it was that way for a very long time until they expanded again after you know, the strike and went to three divisions. And now they've added another. So now it becomes even more difficult to comprehend if you are a Yankee fan when you're used to winning not just championships, but being in the mix every year, which is for Yankee fans not even good enough anymore. And as a Cardinal fan, it's not even good enough for me anymore, let alone not being in the mix at all. But with all the additional opportunities of three division winners and three wild cards and the ever-evolving mindset of just get in, just get in and see what happens. I love the Phillies last year. So even if you just get in in an off year, you got a shot. So the expectations are that you're always going to at least just get in. And when you're not even in the hunt to just get in, like my team, you are just so in- incredibly frustrated, angry, disillusioned when you step back and at least in your mind as a fan, like we believe that your front office did such a miserable job, that ownership did an awful job, that the manager and coaching staff did and are doing and continue to do an awful job. And you believe everyone should be fired and they haven't been yet and may not be. Uh, What is your thought process as a Yankee fan vis-a-vis your general manager who obviously like the Pope and like a Supreme Court justice I guess has the job for life in Brian Cashman. And I'm very curious what you think your manager. You hit the nail on the head with the mindset of just get in because the unfortunate thing and the detriment to the Yankees is for whatever reason, ownership, front office ship, GM ship. That seems to be the thought process now because there's so many opportunities to just get in. And it's so difficult in baseball sometimes to get hot at the right time. They think that if we just get in, we'll have a shot, just like everybody else does. Well, unfortunately for them, history would tell you you don't because you can't beat the Red Sox, who you're most likely going to find yourself playing against in the postseason. You can't beat the Tampa Bay Rays, who you found yourself playing in the postseason. And you sure as hell can't beat the Houston Astros, who at this point you're almost guaranteed to play in the postseason. And by can't beat, you're getting your ass kicked by them. The only team that you have a chance against is the Cleveland now Guardians and the Minnesota Twins. History's on your side there. Congratulations. Maybe you'll win the one-game playoff or the three-game series to get into the postseason by playing one of those teams. That can't be the mindset of the New York Yankees that we're just satisfied to be here 
amongst the boys. We made it. We're in the club. Every year we're going to get to the postseason, and then we'll see what happens. That's not the New York Yankees. And it sounds so silly to say, and people that aren't Yankees fans and people that aren't fans of franchises that have had recent successes or success that they can remember laugh at that. Like, who the hell do you people think you are? And I get it. Because it sounds stupid to say when we're complaining about a franchise that has made the postseason every year since, what, 1992? I was five years old in 1995. That year's been getting thrown around a lot when the longest losing streak in franchise history hasn't happened since then. I was five. That year, they still made the postseason. When they first introduced the wild card, they made it. They got in. Got heartbroken by the Seattle Mariners when they used to have every good player at that time and then traded them all away for some reason before they ever won anything. That's for another day. Tribune. Griffin, coming around. Oh, that, you know, you can't not see it if you're a Yankees fan. I barely knew of the Yankees then. Then the next year, I'm six, and they rattle off four or five. I picked the right team to root for, it appeared at the time. Nice. Thanks, Dad, for being a Yankees fan yourself. The frustration comes from Ownership basically saying at one point this year, I can't imagine why Yankees fans are mad or they're angry right now. Brian Cashman's excuse making and Aaron Boone just kind of saying the same stuff every night after every game. It's right there in front of us. It's right there in front of us. We've got the talent to go out and get it. It's right there in front of us like a broken record every night. And it starts at the top because you mentioned, how do you feel about the manager? I don't really think he's got a big say in what's going on, Al. And I don't think that's a surprise to baseball fans because seemingly management is run by the front office now. It's analytics. It's nerds. It's the guys upstairs throwing out situations and scenarios and stats on what you should do in each situation and not having a feel for the moment of the game. He had Kiner Falefa the other night trying to bunt because Stats would tell you that if they're playing a certain way, maybe they'll throw the ball away on the bunt. Popped it up to the catcher. Double play. What are we doing? Whose idea is this? And then they try to defend it after the game. Well, this said this and this said that. Every time Tommy Canely throws a changeup, an angel gets its wings. How many times are you going to throw your fucking changeup and have it leave the park when you could throw it 97 on the black? Dude loves his changeup. You know why? Because somebody's telling him to throw it. Here's the stats, man. When you throw that changeup in this count against this guy batting, here's what'll happen. Okay, I'll throw it. And the other batters are sitting on it. The whole front office needs to go. And they've been with the franchise. If you look up the different people in important roles, the analytical department, scouting, etc. Brian Cashman's been with the team since 95. These other gals and gentlemen... Also going on several plus decades with this franchise. You need a fresh start. You need to clean ship and you need the people telling the manager what to do. Know what they're talking about. And they don't. And for whatever reason, the owner of the team is incredibly loyal to these people and he won't pass go. He won't spend the $200. He'll extend the GM instead. So they're going to scapegoat the batting coach this year hilarious. Then they're going to potentially scapegoat Aaron Boone at the end of the season, send him down the road and bring somebody else in. Who's going to be another yes, man to whatever they're telling them upstairs. Every part of this organization, when you dig deeper into it is incredibly disappointing and needs a reboot. 
that's all there is to it. The game of baseball's changed. You've seen it happen with your franchise. Every fan has seen it happen, where, of course, analytics are taking things over, but you have to be able to keep up with it. Hell, the Astros are winning World Series. They're still getting rid of GMs, hiring new people. The Dodgers doing Teams are winning, and they're still making changes. Quick ones. Well, if you look at what the problem is with, with my team, fortunately, it's really not the players. They have plenty of players. The biggest problem the Yankees have, besides obviously the situation with the general manager, supposedly the manager, is they've got a big player problem. They've got a big contract problem. They've got older players that they are paying a ton of money to. And you know, we know who they are. Three more years of standing. Existing. People talk about you know, John Rosellex trade with Marcel Zune and how bad a trade it was because you know he wasn't the same player he was for the Marlins. And of course they gave up both Zach Callen, who's gonna be the Cy Young Award winner this year in Arizona now and uh probably and Sandy Alcantara was the last Cy Young Award winner last year uh for the Marlins to get a Zuna, who's having a great come a terrific comeback year for Atlanta by the way. But that trade could have been so much worse for the Cardinals because if you remember their first choice was Stanton. And Stanton said, I won't go. I'm not going to St. Louis. Right. So they would still be stuck with Stanton's contract in St. Louis, making, what is it? What's it up to now? Is it 25, 27 million a year? Whatever it is. For, I believe, three more years. I think 24, 25, 26. Or is it even four more years? They would be stuck with that contract. Uh, so it, it could have been even worse, but the Yankees are stuck with that contract. They've got... Uh, also, remember, kids, this was when you could have potentially held off on a Stanton deal and went after Bryce Harper the following season. Correct. A person correct. that has been a lifelong Yankees fan, and correct. I don't know, maybe bats lefty in the park made specifically for lefties, and Brian Cashman, the GM, basically said, we have six outfielders. Where would Bryce Harper play? We don't want to put him at first. Do you know how many of those six outfielders are still on the team? Mm-hmm. Aaron mm-hmm. Judge and Stanton, obviously, mm-hmm. because they ended up going with him. They mm-hmm. would have preferred Aaron Hicks, Brett Gardner, Jacoby Ellsbury, and Clint Frazier. Those were the All six. Gone. All and gone. Hicks, and all disappointing. Contracts. They, they had to pay Hicks. You pay him. You always know, take Hicks off their hands. Uh, you, you signed Judge, obviously, to a fortune. Bader is going to be a free agent. You really have no left fielder. Rizzo is still under contract. Uh, the the underachieving, I believe, batting champ in both leagues, correct? He's won in both leagues, is he not? Yeah, you wouldn't know it. Okay, who is having you know a terrible year, you know, injuries and you know down year numbers wise. Torres has been pretty solid, but you know, you're stuck with a lot of these big contracts. Rodon's big contract, who's not pitching, uh, hurt again. And Frankie Montas is going to be a free agent and hasn't pitched at all. Severino is going to be a free agent. Uh, finally had a good outing you know, last night, but he's been miserable. Uh, you know, Nasty Nestor also hurt. So they're, they're really in a... a a huge state of flux because they have so many positions to fill. They've got these young players. 
It looks like the shortstop is their shortstop of not just you know, the future, but now and the future. He'll hit better. You know, he's hitting, he's hitting 215. He hits for something. He's got 16, 17 home runs. He's been mediocre at best defensively. But they've got a lot of money tied up in players that simply don't produce. Right. And you, know, you can't move these guys. Nobody's going to take Stanton. Nobody's going to take you know, Rizzo with the money that he's making. When is Rodon going to pitch again? And who's going to play center field? Who's going to play left field? How do you fill these holes? Because you don't want to spend a ton of money on players because you don't have a lot of room to spend. And you don't know even what you're going to do with the guys that you're spending money on. What do you do with Stan? Is he ever going to be healthy? Huge question mark. Is Rodon going to pitch this year at all? Or are you just going to shut him down and just consider it a wasted year? Uh, is Montas gone? What's the, what's the status of everybody else? I mean, you got Garrett Cole, you're paying a fortune. But Garrett Cole at least delivers. But again, another guy you're paying a fortune. He's not going anywhere. Of course not. You don't want him to go anywhere. And you're he's, wasting he's your what staff. he's doing, just like you're wasting yeah. what Aaron Judge is doing. These are prime so, years for these guys, and they're wasting them. Their front office has a ton of decisions to make because you're looking at the rest of that division. Baltimore, young, cheap, probably only going to get better. Toronto, relatively young, not so cheap. A uh, lot on the payroll with certain players. Got a lot of guys they're going to have to pay. Uh, a, a decent amount of pitching and pitching signed and coming back, but they're not as good as I thought they were going to be. Tampa has suffered some debilitating blows, obviously to the pitching. They lose McClanahan. They, they've lost so many pitchers. Glass now is the healthiest one, which is ironic. I thought they made an excellent deal for Savali at the deadline, who the Indians basically, excuse me, the Guardians gave away. Uh, I wish the Cardinals had made that deal because he's a solid third, fourth starter, young, 28, under contract, cost control. And they've lost their shortstop. They've lost their young, hopefully someday brilliant, but thought to be a star of the future. I want to call him a, you know, a, a star right now, but budding star, Wander Franco, who mount, he may never play again because of the circumstances. And that would be a brutal blow to this franchise who signed him to a very, very lucrative, long, long, long-term contract. Uh, obviously, forget about the payroll aspect of it. From a business standpoint and a baseball standpoint, let's set the personal standpoint aside. It's your shortstop. It's your 22 year old starting shortstop. It's the building block, your foundation for your entire team for the future. He is the guy that you basically decided we're going to build everything around. And don't get me wrong. They have players. They have a Rosarena. Uh, they have the usual other guys who, you know, Yadi Diaz and others. He's had a terrific season, uh, but that was really the building block, and he could be gone. And I don't mean gone for next year. I mean gone for good. 
the, the Red Sox are much better than I thought they were going to be. This is far and away Francona's best managerial job. I thought they were the last place team. So the Yankees have got a lot of work to do. And I don't know what their mindset is going to be because they've got to figure out what they're going to do with the guys that they've got, that they're paying a fortune to. And what is the hope and plan for what they will be able to get out of those guys production wise? Because it's hard to decide how you're going to build your roster when you're paying a guy like Stanton so much money and you just don't know what you're going to get from Forget about production, playing time. Right. LeMahieu, same. LeMahieu, same thing. Uh, do they bring back Harrison Bader? Is going to be a free agent. What do they do there? I mean, he solves their problem defensively and is a huge help to Judge. So he doesn't have to cover as much uh, area in, in right field. But you know, they're going to pay him. How much they're going to pay him? Well, it's give him a hometown discount. And remember, as much as I love him. As an incredibly exciting member of the Cardinals, the most exciting. He, unfortunately, <laughs> is always hurt. He always gets hurt. You know, if he gives you 100 games, you're lucky. And it was the same way in St. Louis. Uh, love the way he plays, doesn't play enough. And that poses huge problems for ownership. The front office has a lot to navigate. And Boone, as you said, you know, we have no idea how much leeway he's got. His players love him. He fights for the players. He gets kicked out every other night. Do I think he's a, you know, he's, he's a mediocre manager. You know, he had no experience. At times it shows. He's obviously got plenty of experience now. But I just think he's a mediocre manager. If some of the moves he makes with the bullpen are confounding. Uh, I just, they could do better. I think they could do better. I know my team could do better. You know, the difference for the Cardinals is they've got, with the exception of Goldsmith and Arenado and the hideous Miles Michaelis, uh, a lot of young players. A lot of young players who already have major league experience or getting major league experience this year. They need starting pitching because of the front office abortion in the offseason. And the front office, they're not going to get fired. John Mazalek's got a couple years left. He said he's going to start turning over the reins. Can't come a more you know, a, a, a second too soon, but they need a cleansing. Their entire coaching staff has been hideous. Oliver Marmel has done a horrendous job from day one. And I understand he's stuck with, uh, you know, the bean counter analytical group led by John Mazeliak. But the problem with that is John Mazeliak's decision-making has been so bass backwards in terms of trades, free agents, extensions. He's wasted over $400 million in the last seven, eight years on awful contract extensions and free agents, which have just been complete busts, each and every one of them. And he fired a good manager in Mike Schilt, hired an awful manager in Marmo. His coaches all left last year. Skip Schumacher, who they should have hired when they fired Mike Schilt and was the bench coach last year, leaves for the Marlins. Great pitching coach, says, I need a break. It lasted 45 seconds. And the next thing you know, Mike Maddox is the pitching coach, you know, for his buddy Bruce Bochy in Texas, doing a great job. Turner Ward has been awful. None of the young players have improved offensively. Uh, Dusty Blake has been a joke as a pitching coach. His trips to the mound, you have to time with a sundial. I mean, he was a pitching analytics coordinator 
and they put him in a major league uniform with no experience, inexcusable. They went from the best defensive team in baseball and one of the best base running teams in baseball to the worst in one season. How is that possible? That's coaching. That's lack of stress on fundamentals. They never hit behind runners. They never advance runners. They have the worst batting average in the major leagues with the bases loaded. They've lost more runners in scoring position than any team in baseball, left on base. It's ridiculous. It's And this is for a team that's got a supposed really good offense in terms of the rest of all those great analytical numbers. But when it comes to leaving runners on base, batting average of the runners in scoring position, batting average with bases loaded, hitting at the double plays, they're at the top of the list as the worst team in baseball or the bottom of the barrel, whichever way you want to look at it. So they never hit when it matters. That's on the coaches. Their approach is awful. And I love Willie McGee. He's an all-time Cardinal great. But And I understand he, he was dealt a bill of goods in Jordan Walker who had no experience. But again, that's on the front office. He should have been in AAA all year long playing the outfield, playing the outfield, playing the outfield, playing the outfield. He is one of the worst outfielders. I mean, he's not as bad as Jose Martinez, Dr. Strange Glove, who was out there a few years ago. Uh, but he has been one of the, the, the worst outfielders in baseball this year. And you can't tell me it doesn't affect his offense because he's got to work so hard defensively. And remember, this isn't the minor leagues. The pressure to hit in the major leagues is much greater than in the minor leagues. You are here to produce because if you don't get, if you don't produce, you're getting sent down. And now you're going to go to the bench. You're going to go down. And to try and do that and learn to play a new position at the same time for a 21-year-old, a position he's never played before, it's incredibly difficult. And Willie McGee has made no, made no progress with him. No progress. And I understand everybody says Willie McGee's working his ass off. With him, with Burleson, et cetera, is another guy who's got very little outfield experience. But it has cost them dearly. And the manager has just been a train wreck from opening day. He was a train wreck last year in the postseason from the way he's dealt with the players, O'Neill, the fiasco with Wilson Contreras, his bullpen management, his lineup construction, the ever-revolving the ever you know, revolving door of outfielders, part of which was created by you know, Mazzella not getting rid of outfielders in the offseason. They've still got that same abundance of outfielders, too many guys. And it, as I said before, young guys cannot be bench players. You cannot come up as a star your entire life. And then at 22, okay, you're going to play a little bit. You're going to play against. That's for guys who are 27, 28, who know are never going to be stars. And this is what I got to do to stay in the big leagues. I got to be ready to pinch hit. I got to be ready to play twice a week. I got to be ready to play four different positions. I got to be ready to get a hit coming off the bench. I got to be ready to go. Somebody gets hurt and know that my ass is going back to the bench when the other guy comes back. That's not for 22-year-olds. 22-year-olds used to be telling, you're a stud. You're, you're the man. You're a star. You play wherever you want. You hit, you hit third, you hit fourth. And the Cardinals created that problem by having all these young outfielders who are all used to playing and, you know, they treated the first month of the season like it was spring training where they're competing each other with each other for jobs during the season. You can't start the season that way. And as a result, everybody gets off to a bad start and that insult to injury since they all get off to bad starts and have shitty seasons, what happens? Their trade value goes down. So John Mazzella just, 
he continues to throw up all over himself. I've told everybody who will listen, he's taken this team into an abyss, and that's literally where they are. They're in, the St. Louis Cardinals are in last place in the hideous National League Central. And today I heard a great comment from Eduardo Perez on the MLB Network, and it was in along the lines of what you were talking about in terms of it's not just about getting in. And Steve Phillips, I'd asked him, you know, shouldn't Marmel and the entire staff be fired? Enough with this John Mazzale. It's already, you know, it'll be, you know, the third manager he's fired. Well, you know, he hired one good one in Schilt. Unfortunately, he, he fired him. But you got to make the move. What are you waiting for? Because you have the players. You just need to clean up the pitching. And he tended to agree. And then he said, and you look at the division, it's Seattle Central. And Eduardo Perez had a great comment when he said, you can't look at it that way. You got to stop approaching it from, it's the NL Central. Here's all you got to do to win. Because if that's your approach, you're not going to compete with the best teams. The approach shouldn't just be, all I got to do is win. It's the NL Central. All I got to do is win 90 games or 92 games. The approach and the front office's uh, aggressiveness should be based upon, or attitude and approach should be based upon, what do I have to do to compete with the Braves, the Dodgers, right. the best teams, not just the teams in your division, if you're in a crappy division. It's about being able to compete with the best teams to win the World Series, not to just win 90 games or just get in or 92 games to win your division. And that, I think, is something that teams have to take real cognizance of. And I certainly think with respect to my team and yours, that has to be you know, given much more consideration. It can't just be about – and, you know, again, in your division, if the goal is to win the division, well, you're going to have a really good record. So it's really not not, not – the same situation as where the Cardinals are, where you know it's not going to take a hundred wins. You know, in your division, it's going to take a terrific season because of the competition to win the division. And if you can't win the take- division, at least be the best wild card team. Try to be. Right. Have that be your your goal, not just let's be a wild card team. Be the best of the wild card teams if, for whatever reason, you can't win your division. Right, and in, in St. Louis, the approach of the front office is, you know, I think this is a ninety-win team. Well, ninety-win teams, you know, they're good. They're probably going to get in. That's not the way you should approach the season. And the the, the the season should not commence if you're the Yankees or the Cardinals. It certainly isn't with the Dodgers and the Braves or the, or the Astros. You know. Let's get 90 wins. And what, what year is it? Let's get 90 wins. You know, we're heading into, we're not even in September yet. The Orioles are a win away from 80 wins. Look at what they're doing. 90 wins. Sure, years ago. Now you should be thinking 100. Get close to that number. I mean, you look at the team since the Astros cheated their way to the World Series that have competed for championships. The Yankees feel nowhere close to these dudes anymore. Exactly. The Red Sox, the Dodgers. That's the way I feel about. I don't know. The Cardinals are nowhere close to the Braves. The Phillies, the Braves. Well, obviously or, or, the or Nationals. The Dodgers in terms of good flash. You know, the, pan, the, their organizations are so efficient in terms of player development. 
player right. development. They develop. Look at the look at. I said to the guys the other morning, he's not going to win Rookie of the Year. Corbin Carroll's going to win Rookie of the Year. But is there been a more impactful or important rookie in the National League than James Altman? I mean, yeah, they've got Freddie Freeman, and yeah, they've got Mookie Betts, but they had vacancies all over the field, and they certainly had a gaping one in center field. And this kid has come in as a rookie. He got off to a great start. He hit the the bricks for a while, as expected, but he's had a really solid, strong season and played center field virtually every day gives him some pop he was a football player he's got kind of a football player mentality he's a very tough kid he's had the leadership of those two star players uh, to benefit from but he has filled a huge hole for them all year long in center field uh, that was left you know by Bellinger from a defensive standpoint and he's been really solid he strikes out a lot uh, most young players do. He's got some pop. He's got a lot of clutch hits for them. And he's played a terrific center field and really stabilized that outfield. And uh, that's player development. Player development. You know, who thought James Elton was going to be a big time, who was going to be a starting center fielder, you know, for 140 games for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they were going to walk uh, away from the, the competition if James Elton was going to be their starting center fielder. And they continue to develop their own pitching. Develop your pitching. Get your guys signed when they're young. Look at the Braves. All signed. Power at the corners. Speed and defense up the middle. Yeah. That's what it's about. Speed and defense up the middle. No young, slow guys. Unless they play first or third. No slow middle infielders. No slogging outfielders. You must have a center fielder that can go Get the baseball. Michael Harris, the second, perfect example. Hits ninth. He was hitting 150 for the first two months of the season. And then he just went he's, you know, back where it was as a rookie. He's hitting 280. Betting eighth or ninth. Catches everything that's got a bump in it in center field. Wonderful young player. Signed for the long term. Acuna. Right now, right now, Acuna's the best player alive. Last year it was Judge. First portion of the, this year it was Atani. For the entire year, it's been Acuna. Does the five things. Hits for average, hits for power. Runs, throws, fields. Could be the first guy to go 30-60 ever. I know it's easier with the stolen bases, you know, with the pizza boxes and the throwover rule. I understand that. But 30-60, is, is, he's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a player. He should be the MVP. But he's got his teammate. He's got the two guys in L.A. Uh, they, they have one of the best lineups, you know, in the last 30 years. You know, harken back to the, the Guardians slash Indians teams of the mid-90s. They can slug. They wear you out. They'd sign them all. They're all homegrown, with the exception of Murphy uh, and Rosario. And They're all making they're $10 all, a game. <laughs> and, 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 and they're all signed. It's crazy. All signed for long term. Copy the Braves. Copy the Braves. Do what I did, okay, when I was in trouble. Senior year, high school, had to take a science class, physics, didn't know, still don't know a test tube from an inner tube, right? And what did I do? I planted myself in between my two best friends, multiple choice tests, do what what I did. Copy. 
copy, 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 copy the Braves. Copy the I got a 95. Yeah. Got a 95, all four marking periods. How'd I do it? Lean to the left, lean to the right, fight, fight, fight. Plain and simple. Put that on a t-shirt for the show. Copy. We talk about it all the time. We say the NBA, the NFL. They're all copycat leagues. Copy the Braves. Speed and defense up the middle. And oh, by the way, some pretty decent offense with you know, Ozzie Albies and uh, the and National League short, all-star shortstop after uh, you know their supposed young leader left for the Cubs in Swanson and uh, you know, a center fielder who is young, effervescent, exciting, can fly. Copy the brain. Sluggers at the corners. Defense up the middle. And pitching, pitching, pitching. You know, grow your own pitching, develop your own pitching, go and grab a free agent once in a while. Have a manager who is seasoned, who's been at all levels, who is calm, who never panics. See Brian Snicker, see Bruce Bochy, see Dave Roberts. Winning formula, man. Winning formula. And easier said than done, of course, for everything to come perfectly together. But the point is, if your franchise is at least trying to do those things, you could sleep better at night knowing you're at least trying to do those things. You must let your managers manage. Of course, analytics helps. Of course, they're a huge part of the game. But you've got to let the Braves have the same lineup every night. Every night. Every night, none of this nonstop bullshit juggling. You know, every guy knows where he's hitting in the lineup. Every night. Every guy's playing. Every night. What do the best players all do? They play. They play. And they want to play. I, like, they're they're probably busting each other's ass. Like, you're not going to take a day off tomorrow, are you? Do, no, of course I'm not. We're when playing. Was, when, was the, when was the last time a guy was labeled the best player in the game he played 100 games? What? You, you become best players by playing. Eighty games, ninety games, hundred games. Uh-uh. I'm not even say 162, but you want to be the best players of the game. If you're not playing 130, 140 games, you're not going to be one of the best players of the game. Got to find a way to stay healthy. Got to find a way, or play with some nagging injuries. Not stuff that's debilitating. Not stuff where you can't produce. Not stuff where you're hurting your team by being out there, but but by playing through it, you out there playing through it is better than the option. Right. Always. That's the key. If you nicked up is better than the alternative, it's important. Got to play. Got to play. Thanks to everyone for letting us rant a little bit. We haven't had a chance to talk baseball this summer, and unfortunately, the season's being over. A lot on our chests. Some of you are probably yeah, thinking, now, oh, poor you guys, Cardinals, Yankees fans. Well, now, 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 now let's talk about the real bad news. Yeah. Which is in this year where we have seen Shohei Otani do even more than we thought possible, feasible, plausible. Uh, it looks like he has uh, ulnar nerve damage in the elbow, leaving the game last night. Whether or not another Tommy John surgery is going to happen, we still don't know. This, again, is 
during, unfortunately, a terrible stretch for the Angels when they did not trade him at the deadline and decided instead to go for it, acquired Lucas Giolito and others, and they've fallen on their face and had a miserable August and are hopelessly out of it. And Mike Trout also will not make it back after further discomfort. Otani left last night. Uh, he continued to hit. He can still hit. We don't know how much longer he will still hit. We don't know if he will have surgery to end the season. We don't know when he will have surgery, if he will have it at all. But we all talked about the fact that somebody was going to pay him between 50 and $60 million a year for the next 10 years. Tell me your thoughts on the plausibility slash possibility of that happening now with at least the Otani as a pitcher being literally uh, – out of the mix for at least a season. These things happen. You're first devastated as a baseball fan for it happening. You want the best players to be playing. You want to watch these dudes every night. You want to be awed, which he does every night. You want to make those tungsten arm jokes when he does amazing things by himself, but then the Angels somehow still find a way to lose the game. Unfortunately, that's way too big of a trend for them. But you want him out there. And the conversation, of course, was, what is this dude going to make on his next deal? $500 million, $600 million, Is that too little? And then after the dust settles on these injuries, you go on social media and Twitter, read articles across baseball, and guys are saying that might have cost him $100 million. How much? That elbow. $100 million, $50 million, $150 million. How much money does that torn elbow cost this man? And it's unfortunate that you have to... Think about that. Who cares about well, I that? I did, that. Those were the numbers they were throwing. Those numbers aren't even close. He was going to get 10 years and a minimum, a minimum of $500 million. Right. No, this was somebody. like how much did he lose by getting hurt if he can't pitch, but he could still he, hit? He, he lost. I would say he lost. $250 million ballpark. Wow. Wow. See, that might not be off because you're expecting to get not only somebody that can hit 150 games, but somebody that can pitch 2025 and pitch well, be your starter, be your number one guy, which he has now been you, this year. Now, when you sign him, you know he's not going to pitch next year. You don't know when he's going to pitch. And I'm assuming you can't keep him in the starting role, right? You'd probably have to change that up if you want to even get him out to the mound again. Like long relief, little league style, you know, stick well, him, stick him at first base, toss him the ball in the fourth, have him be I a closer. More, I would say more along the lines of closer. Yeah, like but, a two-inning yeah, guy maybe. Guys, you, you, you can have two Tommy. You can come back for two Tommy Johns. But the, the, the point is, you're paying for a question mark from the pitching perspective. Right. What is going to be interesting to see is what is he going to be advised based upon what's out there in the market? Because I think it's going to be much lower than it was. Would he look for a scenario where he can opt out after a couple of years? Uh, you know, Do you need to be a team that can afford both literally and figuratively maybe not having him pitch at all? Where you just 
we're strictly taking him for the hitting part. If he can pitch two, that's great, but we're good. We have a rotation set. Our bullpen's okay. If he can pitch first, we'll obviously take it, but we really just want him for his hitting. Or, or, or do you throw the bigger salary at him with the notion that, look, you know, the best you're getting is 35 a year for 10 years? Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to pay you 40 a year with the hope that you can pitch. We're going to take a gamble on it that you can pitch. Um, I don't think he's, I don't know if 500 million is going to be out there. I don't think it is. I don't think it is because you're not getting, you know, what you thought you were going to get. And it didn't have to be, you know, Otani out there starting 30 games. It didn't have to be, you know, once every five days because you, you protect them a lot anyway. Six man rotation, miss some starts, uh, rest, et cetera, uh, because he's playing, he's hitting all the time. You know, he needs breaks. But now with this, it, it, it's a total, complete crapshoot as to when he'll pitch for you again and how how effective will he be. Guys who come off to do Tommy Johns, and they've been effective. effective. Other guys obviously have not. The bonus with him is you still got his bat, and it's a great bat. You know, this is still 40 home runs a year in his prime athletically, physically. And will you pay 10 years for that? I mean, they're paying 10 years for Xander Bogarts. They're paying 10 years for Manny Machado. Those guys are going to be in, four, in, in, their, in their early 40s when those contracts are up. Give this guy a 10-year deal. He's going to be 39. And he's hitting 44 home runs when he's pitching. What if he just plays offense? What if he just plays offense like that one year and doesn't even think about pitching and just hits for a full season, just hits and runs, swings the bat, runs when he hits it, swings the bat, runs when he hits it, gets on base, runs, doesn't even throw the ball. What's that worth? If it's 45 home runs and 120 RBIs, it's worth a bundle. That's worth a bundle. It's crazy to think about, you'd mentioned at the beginning of the show, football injuries that you deal with in the preseason, non-contact stuff. You could see it throughout social media. Some people, of course, have called mention to it that the elbow just wasn't made to do these types of things. For folks who don't understand it, watch a major league pitcher and then watch it in watch his arm in super slow motion and look at the contortion and the twist of the arm throwing overhand and the pressure it puts on the elbow. We're not meant to throw overhand. The natural motion is, is you know, slow and fast pitch softball. That's the natural motion. Just look at the way the elbow is contorted and the pressure and the thrust, uh, that is on that elbow when that ball is you know, at the height of the arm is at its height and eventually the delivery. And a perfect example of that is while we're on the subject, you know, it's, it's another shame that Steven Strasburg, in case you folks haven't heard it yet, a name you haven't heard for a while, uh, is announcing his retirement, uh, whose career is over. 
and one of the wonderful young pitchers we've seen in recent memory, number one draft pick you know, for the Nats uh, out of San Diego State, made his debut 2009, uh, one of the great Electric. debuts in Major League history. And then within a year, uh, unfortunately, his first Tommy John, always talked about the unusual motion that he had. Steve Phillips has always talked about it. He thought it caused arm problems for him. Came back for the first Tommy John uh, down the stretch in 2013. I believe he was shut down, didn't pitch against the Cardinals in the postseason. The team was heavily criticized for that and went on to become a tremendous major league pitcher and led them to through the playoffs and the World Series in 2019. He was the MVP. He was electric. He was dominant. He was durable and signed a huge long-term deal after that. And it has, I mean, his career is just virtually over. Since 2019, I mean, you you look at the number of appearances in the innings, it's next to nothing because the injuries he's had, all kinds of different surgeries. I mean, he had, I think, bones removed from his neck. He had all these just incredibly invasive surgeries. You said crazy. I was reading today, Uh, he's he's still got so much nerve damage in his right arm that he has trouble picking up his kids, opening the door, and sometimes it gets so bad he he has to lie down. If he's standing for too long, it'll just go numb, and he has to lie down and put it close to his chest so he gets the feeling. Jesus. Right, and and he's 35, I believe. Yeah. Is he even 35? He was drafted in 2009 out of San Diego State. That's 14 years ago. So he's got... Yeah, he's got to be around that age. And he he was one of the most dominant, electric, terrific pitchers that we've seen. And he was thoroughly dominant. He was brilliant in that postseason run. And his career is over. And unfortunately, far worse than that, physically, he's got awful long-term debilitating uh, effects on his well-being. Forget about it, as a, as, a, as a baseball player, as a pitcher, as a person. And that's what he put on the line. And people think, you know, um, that's when you have people step, step, stop and think about, you know, well, I, I do it. Well, yeah. And so when Sandy Koufax retired, uh, folks, you can look him up after the 1966 season at 30 years old. He said to the press, if your choice was uh, continue to do what you do and lose your use of your arm, Completely, or lose your arm. Would you stop doing what you're doing, or would you risk losing your arm? And that's the state he was at as a 30-year-old. So he had to stop. And this was before Tommy John surgery and all the inroads made in terms of surgical procedures and the medical progress to have these uh, wonderful procedures that fix these guys uh, when they're broken. And Sandy Koufax pitched broken for a very long time, and he pitched through it. Finally, he was broken beyond repair. At that point in time, whatever the reparations that were available, and you know, he's the greatest pitcher 
people of my age ever saw retired at 30 in the height of his powers. Multiple Cy Youngs, he won multiple Triple Crowns. He won one, two, three, 16, at least three World Series. Won in 59, 62, and 65, lost in 66. Uh, he's the best pitcher I've ever seen. Four no-hitters in four consecutive years. And as Vince Scully said, the late Vince Scully, and he's topped it off with the ultimate, a perfect game. <laughs> um, By the way, I just came across before we forget, age 33, Giancarlo Stanton is, some might call him Michael Stanton. The money owed to him over the next four seasons. Grab a hold of something, folks, if you're a Yankees fan. Next two years, yeah, it's, 2024, it's, it's, 2025, $32 million each year. <sighs> 26 goes down a little bit to 19, 2027, 15. I have long, I don't want to say hated, but I haven't enjoyed long, long baseball contracts. Maybe that's because in other sports, they're very often not that long. You know, you hear seven, eight, nine years in your show. Wow, that's such a long time. The market, baseball, I think the longest one that I first remembered was when the Yankees re-signed Bernie Williams in the 90s, and they gave him, like, the highest-paid contract at the time for these long years. It was like, what's happening in baseball? Bernie Williams. And then, of course, it was A-Rod Part 2, and then A-Rod Part 3, which the Yankees, of course, had to deal with, where you're like, how can you rely on this guy for that long of time when they have to play 162 games Plus the postseason. How do you know what's going to happen in five years? And you're looking ahead at 12 or 13? It just never made sense. And you'll get the, well, toward the end of the contract, they get less money. It's still such a long time to be under contract. Well, you know, the Albert Pujols contract. These long deals. I get why the player would want them, of course. Look 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 at Cabrera. A shell of himself. When he gets a hold of one, though, and you're at the game, still amazing. Like when he was in the hitting in the snow, <laughs> but as a fan, you get a little excited. But once the contract starts getting toward the end, it's like Jesus, we got two more years of this guy. He can't get on the field. And, and and now when you listen to the the GMs, when you listen to Jim Bowden, you listen to Steve Phillips, you know, they all take it with the approach of you know when you do it, you figure you're going to have to eat the last two years. That's the approach that these GMs are taking. Well, you know, we know the last two years we're going to get nothing. So you know, that, that'll be $40 million or $50 million just thrown away. So we get no production. But look at, the, look at San Diego. Uh, I mean, Bogarts and Machado have got 10 more years left on these deals. They're 31, 32 years old. They're already having down years this year. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they won't bounce back and, and have – excellent years next year and the year after, but they're going to be paying them into their forties. And I love Trey Turner, but same. Uh, Harper's a different story. Harper, his contract is less AAV. He wanted to stay in one place and Harper can just be at the age. You know, Bogarts isn't a DH type. Bogarts is a shortstop, right. third baseman, second baseman. Machado could be DH, yes, but you know you really want him for his defense. Trey Turner, you want him as a shortstop. You 
when I'm playing with shortstop at 40. And hey, this isn't anti-player asking for these deals. Absolutely, man. If somebody wants to pay you $26 million for 13 uh, consecutive absolutely. years, please. Absolutely. I'm just saying as a fan, sometimes you take a step back when that player's on your team. Now you're in a place with Stan of who the hell's going to want to take this dude? What are you talking about trades? Who wants to pay that money that they're going to have to you're going to have to pay half the contract, at least half the He's contract. He's untradeable. He's untradeable. He's untradeable. It's just frustrating. Absolutely and untradeable. I don't blame the players in the least. Get paid, man. It's not my money. And but remember, he wasn't, he wasn't MVP. This guy was an MVP for the Marlins in one of the best outfields you will ever see. And the whole outfield ex- was up for sale at that time. Who do you want? And, 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 We're getting rid of the whole and, and, outfield. It's like MVP a yard right fielder with a big arm, a good outfielder, a young left-handed hitting center fielder who was a brilliant player, and a left fielder who was a silver slugger and gold glove winner. When the Cardinals traded for Azuna, I was dancing in the aisles because he was exactly what they needed. Yeah. He was that he was that slugger. And not just you know a 250 slugger. He was a 320 slugger. He was a guy who was a good hitter. And hit bombs. And he was a gold glove winner. And all of a sudden, he comes over to St. Louis, and he's got the shoulder issue, and he can't throw. And it really hurt all aspects of his game. You know, it hurt him from you know a batting average point of view. It hurt his power. And obviously, it just sucked the ability out of him in the outfield because he couldn't throw. Couldn't throw. And all those guys uh, have gone drastically downhill with the exception of Yelich, because he had the MVP and the MVP like you with Milwaukee, but he's dropped off since then, but is at least is, is regularly productive. And the Zuna has made a great comeback this year after all the off the field, on the field struggles and off the field issues with the domestic violence, et cetera. Uh, he's going to hit 30 home runs this year in the middle of that Braves lineup you know, as a full-time, pretty much DH, which is you know, not yet another bonus for them. And again, also goes to their coaching staff. They got this guy after they signed him as a free agent, had the issues, stayed with him, helped him recover, and now their coaches have got him back on the beam. And he's in the middle of it. That helps to be in the middle of a reductive lineup where very little, if any, of the pressure is on you to produce. But again, it's another example of an organization who finds a way to get the best out of the player. And that is what the best teams are about. That's why they're they're the best teams. You know, they get players that come from another organization and say, man, now I know what he's talking about. Perfect example, Lance Lynn, uh, one of my former and beloved Cardinals, goes over to the Dodgers at the deadline from the White Sox, pitching great. They found something. They've been working on it. It's working. And Lynn basically said, now I know where everybody wants to be here. They know how to treat their players. They know how to do everything possible to find a way to get the best out of their players. That spells division titles. That spells pennants. That spells World Series championships. 
We'll get back again someday. There's a song for everybody that's feeling low about your baseball teams. We appreciate everybody letting us rant. It has been a long time. There's a lot to talk about in Major League Baseball, thankfully. Some good, some bad. Which means we tease week zero. For anyone interested, you'll probably be tuned in at 2.30 Eastern time as Navy and Notre Dame travel to Ireland to play a little football. How about that? The Fighting Irish heading home. 13th ranked Fighting Irish. My, my mistake. With their new quarterback. New quarterback. Assuredly, snazzy stuff to the uniforms for both teams, I'm guessing. Shamrocks galore. Sam Hartman will probably have on a Peaky Blinders hat like he showed up to at ACC Media Days before he left the conference. Looking forward to seeing that and how the grass is. That's always a topic of conversation when there's these games overseas. How long will it take before the Sam Hartman for Heisman hype starts? Man, we, we may not have to wait till dinner time on Saturday. Okay. You never know. Say, let's say Sam goes 25 for 32 for 380 yards and four touchdowns. Oh, yeah. They're running. Hartman for Heisman. Question. There's no Hartman question. For, Hartman for the Heisman. No question they're running with it. So we'll see week zero. Next week, we'll chat to you and give our talk about what we think about college football as it stands. We'll discuss the state of college football and if there's still even going to be a power five the next time we speak. Things seemingly change overnight in this sport now. There's no rest for the wicked. You can't take vacations in the summer if you cover the sport. Everything changes in a drop of a hat. We have to do everything immediately now based on TV dollars. So we'll talk about what's happened and we'll preview what's going to happen as next week will be week one when college football fans everywhere are incredibly excited and more things will happen in the sports world. There's no question about that. And we'll be happy to talk with you about it. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Great to be back with you folks from my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. I am El Renato and Gail from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.